This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and I'm here at Aloha Stadium, and it's uh, late Saturday night uh, in Hawaii, which means it's even later on the mainland and ridiculously late everywhere else, or maybe early other places. I have no idea. But anyways, uh, I am here with 24-7 Sports' Brandon Huffman, and we just got done uh, checking out the Polynesian Bowl. And Team Makai, the blue team, for those people that were watching, defeated uh, Team Mauka, the red team, 27-7. to I guess the first question is, Brandon, was that a surprise? No. In fact, I, I thought this game was going to be a blowout from the first time I saw these two teams practice on Tuesday. Actually, I would say it was more Wednesday because I was watching Team Mauka on Tuesday and then watched Team Makai on Wednesday. Uh, but you just look at the, the front seven of Team Makai and really the ineffectiveness of the quarterbacks on, I mean, from the get-go inability to get snaps down. I mean, it just looked like it was going to be a long week for Mocha, so I predicted a Team Makai win. Didn't think it would be this thoroughly a, a domination, but I fully expected a Makai win. So it's interesting, too, because if you look at the quarterbacks, I mean, they had uh, Talia Tagovailoa, they had Brandon Clark, the Notre Dame commit. Um, they had some firepower. They had some guys that could, could move the ball and do some things, but uh, apparently that didn't mean much in the end. Yeah, you know, and I think much of that could have been attributed to the fact that, you know, Jacob Conover was the only quarterback that Team Mackay had on Tuesday. Peter Parrish didn't get into later that night. Gunnar Cruz uh, didn't come in until Wednesday. So that first day, I mean, you know, it's a hard day to get those guys all on the same page. But the first day, Jacob Conover was the only quarterback. So I thought that that got a lot more chemistry going between him and the receivers. And, you know, Conover threw a touchdown pass earlier tonight. Um, but you, you could just kind of see with, with Conover and, and Nakua, you know, Puka Nakua, you could just see guys on the offense and getting on the – same page, but then defensively, Marcel Brooks, DeWan Black, Chris Bogo. I mean, it was kind of an unfair advantage yeah. uh, defensively that Makai had. And, you know, even though Mauka may have had the quarterbacks, Makai's front seven, plus the quickness that they got on the same page offensively, led to a 27-7 win. Yeah. So, obviously, this is going to be a Washington-based podcast when it comes to so many guys, you know, upwards of a dozen or so guys that were in- invited. Now, we didn't have that many that played. But uh, any surprises? Any anything that really stood out as far as uh, some of the Washington guys? Well, I, I think you, you know you look at the three leading tacklers for Team Mauka. Yeah. There's a chance that all three of those guys end up playing for the Huskies. Uh, at the last look at the box, you had Latu Daniel Hamuli, who will be visiting Washington this next weekend. Uh, right behind him, you had Alfonso Tupatala, who is already signed with Washington, and then Latu Latu also already signed with Washington. Then you flip it over to the Team Mackay. Asa Turner, who was once a Washington commit, he's still between, decided between the Huskies and Notre Dame. Uh, he was the fourth leading tackle, but he had an interception. He was one of the, the co-leaders in interceptions. And apparently uh, during the game they still showed him as a Washington commit sure. when they talked to him. There you have it. And, uh, you know, that, that sometimes people need to read the notes a little bit uh, more updated. And then Noah Nalu had a couple of tackles yeah. in there. So, you know, you look at – the, the strength of Washington clearly these last few years has been on that defensive side of the ball. And you look at the stars in this game, D- Daniel Hamilton was the defensive MVP. The guys that were making the biggest impact are those guys headed to Washington to play defense. But I, I think uh, kind of an underrated factor here is two field goals tonight made by Timothy Hornan. And obviously Washington fans have been praying for a kicker that they can count on. And Timothy Horn, you know, 
Chris, how long have we been going to all-star games, all-American games over the years, and you get the best kickers in the country, right. and they play in the Alamo Dome, or they play in the Citrus Bowl, or they play here at a little stadium, and all of a sudden they can't seem to split the uprights. And these are guys that are among the best kickers in the country. Timothy Horn nailed both of them, plus his two PATs. So I think, you know, we know all the star power here, but then you get a guy like Timothy Horn, might be under the radar as a kicker, but... Uh, again, I think probably has the best chance of playing right away for the Huskies next year. Yeah, now obviously the field goals were great. I mean, they, not only did he did he kick them through the uprights, but they were, I mean, they were way up there. Oh, yeah. I mean, they would have been good from 10, 15 yards easily past where he kicked them. And, you know, he's used to the stadium. Punahou plays a lot of home games here, and so a lot of times you get guys that aren't used to playing in big stadiums, big venues, and they go to the Alamo Bowl, and there's this huge backdrop. They're used to seeing a couple of fans and a snack bar right behind the uprights instead of see so horn's going to be one of those guys to be able to make that transition you know uh punahou's produced a lou groza a lou groza award winner in kaimi fairbairn so there's a history at punahou of those guys being able to transition and i think some of that has to do with the fact these guys are used to kicking in big venues with a lot of seats there so they're not making that big of a transition to college and i also think that one of the 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 things that was was also good to see from timothy horn was the fact that pretty much all the kicks now, obviously, I think they fair caught every single kick. I think that was just a rule, but I'd say at least half of his kicks went through the went into the end zone, and so I thought that that obviously, again, we were talking a little bit about leg strength and things like that. Um, that was really, really good to see. Up front, the two guys that played for Washington, you had uh, Fatui Tuatele that played for Team Malka. You had uh, Noah Galu played for Team Makai. Um, any thoughts on how they played? Because I, I really. I've really enjoyed watching Noah play this week. Yeah, you know, Fatu was kind of non-existent tonight during the game. I mean, he was taking up a lot of space, but, you know, Noah Nalu, I mean, the big thing with him has been his height. He, he's barely six feet. Maybe, you know, I, I was had lunch with his coach today, his high school coach, before the game, and, you know, he said, oh, we'll give him six foot and three-quarter. I think that was the official uh, measurement on uh, – when they did there, so he'll probably end up being like 5'9 when he goes, no, I'm just joking, Husky fans. Uh, but, you know, he's not a real tall guy, but he plays bigger. I mean, I know that's a cliche to use, but he and this week he's been fantastic. You know, you see that quickness, and, and I would think he's probably the least heralded of the defensive tackles that Washington has signed in this class. All four were invited to this game. Jacob Bandy's already there. Salma Palma didn't play. Fatui did. No, Nalu probably was the best defensive lineman that the Huskies have coming in yeah. that played in this game, and I, I think if that's your fourth best you know, from a rankings perspective that's your fourth best defensive tackle that's a lot to be excited about i was also going to say too for for as good as you just rolled down that defensive line class that's a nice defensive line class to have but when you talk about the three leading tacklers for team malka being guys that could all end up at washington maybe are we selling the, the linebacker group a little short yet or are we still having to wait on the whatever that final piece may be no i mean you obviously with Latu Latu, he could do a number of things. I mean, he's 270 pounds, and he's as flexible as a linebacker. I mean, early in the week, he's adjusting to passes that are up in the air, down on the floor. And this is a guy who, you know, could end up being a weak side defensive end or, a, you know, a hand down the end in a couple of years. So I, I think he tilts it. I'm going to – we have him rated as a defensive end, so we'll tilt it towards the defensive line. But yeah. Tupatala, another guy that I, I think, you know – comes from a program that's had some good players in the past but you know federal way you know doesn't have the attention that it did a few years ago but i mean the transition that alfonso has made from his sophomore to junior year but more importantly from his junior year to his senior year where he played seven on seven this offseason to show that he can be in coverage because we know he's great 
stopping the run. Right. But he just showed so much more agility and, and lateral movement this year that you're now seeing him becoming this complete backer. Well, I think the most fascinating part about Alfonso was you would see him taking pictures with the other Washington commits. By himself, he's a big guy. You yeah. see him with these other Washington commits, he looks kind of small compared to some of those guys, and that shows you how big this class is. And Alfonso, I mean, he's reshaped his body, and I thought he had a great game. So if they can get the missing piece there with Daniel Haimuli to close, I mean, that's as good of a front seven as the Pac-10 or the Pac-12 has seen in quite some time. Do you, do you get a sense that that's the way that he played tonight is the way that he might play at Washington? Because I, I didn't get the sense that the way these coaches used Latu Latu, for instance, mm-hmm. is the way that I think Pete Kwiatkowski is going to want to use. Because, yeah. I mean, he was 10, 15 yards down the field in covers. Not that he couldn't do it. He was doing fine. But I just get the sense that they like what he can do one-on-one Absolutely. getting to the quarterback. They're going to use him in the box a lot more and as a guy who's going to get to the quarterback. But, I mean, this is a guy that even at 270 is ridiculously athletic. Remember, uh, there's a guy I know in the Seattle area who's very involved in the rugby community, and he followed Washington recruiting, and he's very aware of Latu Latu and said if he just focused on rugby, he could be a guy that plays for an Olympic-level team in the rugby. Yeah. I think it's the sevens that, that, that he's playing. I mean, this is a good athlete for as big as he is, and so I'm going to trust uh, you know wherever Pete Kwiatkowski or Jimmy Lake decide to use him, yeah. it's going to be that's going what, what's going to really pull his strengths out, and that's his quickness off the edge and get into the quarterback. But if they need to drop him into coverage and you know put him against a big tight end or something, he's not going to have a hard time doing that. No. Uh, moving over to the offensive line for each team, uh, Team Mackay had Julius Bulow, who was a late mm-hmm. guy who came in. Um, obviously, he's already enrolled at Washington, came in, I think, Thursday. Uh, and so he played for Team Mackay, and then, uh, and then uh, Nate Kalepo played for uh, Team Mauka. Both of them played right tackle for their teams. Both of them played fairly sparingly. Um, I was, I, I wasn't sure if Julius was even going to play because I had talked to Brian Derby earlier, their coach, and that he's his right, he's kind of his offseason coach, mm-hmm. and he was just like, with only one day to prepare, I don't know if it's fair to you know see if we Plus could throw him in travel and being a college student exactly. Right? But uh, he got to play uh, some in the fourth quarter. Uh, thought he played fine, and then Nate uh, was in the first quarter, and then I don't think he showed up again until the fourth quarter. Uh, anything to make out of what they did tonight? No, I mean, I think you're, you're, you just kind of saw chemistry getting going with the, with the linemen, and I think part of that, with, in the case of Bulo, is he missed the majority of the week for practice yeah. um, because of school. Um, and, you know, you had a lot of good tackles in this game, so Nate was playing over on the right side. I still think that he likely ends up as a pretty big punishing interior lineman at the next level, but when you've got 12, 14 linemen and you're only playing five at a time, I mean, you, you, you see that with the quarterbacks. I mean, you see it with a lot of these positions. How do you split the reps up equally or even try to get, but then at the same time, do it where everybody's getting reps, but that you're not ruining the chemistry and you're getting these guys timing down. So I don't think there's anything to, to read too much into it. I mean, Nate's a guy we've been watching for a long time. You know, a fact about Nate, too, that that I think fans may not know about, about three weeks ago today, I saw him at the coaches, uh, the Cleats versus Cancer football game down at, at Kent Meridian High School at French Field. Nate was the only Division One, the only player who signed with an FBS program that played in that game. And I talked to him before the game, and I know part of it was his coach, Corey Sampson, at Rainier Beach was coaching that game, but... You know, in a day and age where these guys don't want to play in their local All-Star games, a lot of times they'll even sit out a game like this. They only want to play in the All-American Bowl or the Under Armour game or this. Nate played in that game, and there was a bunch of his Rainier Beach teammates that were playing. And I said to Matt before the game, I said, you know what, Nate? I'm proud of you for playing this game because 
you have a lot of star power and you're a guy who's got a great following and a lot of friends and I think it shows a, you know a lot of leadership in your part to play in this game and he said you know this game means something to my teammates and it means something to what this game matters because it was a, a fundraiser for Derek Sparks his daughter right. who's fighting leukemia and you know as a parent who's lost his own child to cancer just seeing what he was playing in that game it wasn't because they got all this great gear they got to go to the exotic place i mean they went to kent um nothing against kent but you know he's going to the polynesian ball a few weeks later and he played in that game so right. I, I was very impressed with him and, and that's the kind of guy that the huskies are getting with him so you know may, Nate may not be a guy that starts right away but he's going to be a fan favorite because he's that local kid i mean he's a seattle kid to the core and, and i think that the kind of leadership that he has, and he's been committed for what year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half at least. And I mean, from the get go, him and Dylan Morris were kind of the leaders of this class. But Nate is so much more vocal on social media that you could make a big case that a lot of these guys, especially the Polys that that have committed to UW and signed with UW, yeah. Nate had a huge impact on. So. What he may have lacked in terms of playing time this week, you saw the kind of the players flocking to him just as a person this week. And I think that's a big takeaway. And that's not the only thing you should take away. I mean, he still is a good football player. But that's something that I think, you know, Chris Peterson really values in his recruits and in his players. And, you know, I got off track there, but I just thought that was something that Husky fans would appreciate to know that. That's the kind of person that you're getting in Nate Kalepo. In terms of Julius Bueller, a little quieter. Um, he did come in half of the week, but, you know, again, here's a guy that's adjusting to college life in two weeks, flying across the Pacific to get here. But this game means a lot to him and to his family and to his culture, and he wanted to participate in this game. And so I think, you know, generally speaking, a lot for Husky fans to be excited about, about the guys that are signed and then the guys that they're still in the mix for in Daniel Hamuli and Ace Turner, who was probably the runner-up for the uh, defensive MVP. A lot to be excited about there. Yeah, I was going to say, too, um, just to add a little bit more about the chemistry between Bulow and Kalepo, um, I was talking to, to Julius's family yesterday to, to just find out a little bit more about what was going on with him. And, uh, you know, they told me, first of all, that uh, I think Nate's like a year younger than Julius. Hmm. So that's another reason to, to be patient, you know, because he's just getting he's getting bigger. He, a lot of those guys think that he might actually end up bigger than Julius hmm. when it's all said and done. And then, you know... It was also interesting in terms of um, just having them come out and play and, and just kind of have that time because, like you said, he's been kind of the ringleader. And uh, Julius's family told me, they said, if it wasn't for Nate kind of reaching out right when he had gotten the offer or had found out about it, he was, the, like you said, he was the one that kind of initiated a lot of those types of things. Mm-hmm. So I think that's certainly um, a pretty cool thing to watch and, and to see how that developed and to see how that kind of resulted in what we saw tonight. Um, what's interesting is is that obviously, like you said, you talked about Issa Turner um, gets the pick, shows what he can do, kind of is playing where I think we all thought he's going to play. Give me your thoughts on how you think that's developing and, and how that what what's going to be the end for that? Because there was even some talk, Brandon, that he might even decide tonight. But mm-hmm. I think that I think that died down fairly quickly. Yeah. But still, it, it's just kind of this ongoing thing, and, and how's it going to end? I mean, I don't know that we're going to see an Eric Lorg situation where it's the oh. middle of July and he's He's deciding. just going to sign a scholarship letter and that'll be it? Yeah. Um, but I talked to him in San Antonio three weeks ago. Talking to him earlier this week, there was a difference in kind of his makeup this week. He seemed to be a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more relaxed than where he was three weeks ago. Now, part of that was he was less than two weeks um, from when he decommitted and said he was going to take that time. 
I think there may be a decision already made in his mind, and maybe that's why he's more relaxed. But I also think, given how things played out in December, he may not be 100% in that decision, and there might still be some waffling. But he's a Hawaii native. He came back to his home state and played. Maybe that's what relaxed him. But he definitely seemed to be a little bit more relaxed this week, and, and maybe that's because he's got a decision made. But again, if you have a decision made, you were given the opportunity to announce tonight, and you decided you weren't ready there could still be some skepticism. Now, you know, I think in his case, he said Chris Peterson has already had his in-home with him. Yeah. Brian Kelly has not because Brian Kelly has told him he only does them with commits. So does he commit with enough time for Brian Kelly to come visit or does Chris Peterson have the only head coaching visit? He did say Jimmy Lake is planning to be back down there again to do an in-home and Notre Dame will be as well. So I have a feeling this one could go down to the stretch and maybe he was relaxed because he was back in Hawaii and I mean this is a relaxing place so yeah. <laughs> uh, but there just seems to be a little bit more of a difference in his mind but even even then you know here's a guy who had a decision for five or six months and then when it got down to signing time he wasn't ready to make it so right. we could still be watching this one for another two and a half weeks so it could be like two letters one backpack but exactly which backpack does he pull it out of <laughs> also uh, last question um, obviously, with the way Puka Nakua played, with the way Daniel Hamuli played, is it possible that Washington could get both MVPs to eventually sign with that? It's possible, you know, and it, it's you have a history. I mean, I don't want to bring up old stuff, but two years <laughs> oh, ago, please, there was a Washington <laughs> MVP. He ended up signing with Stanford and Connor Weddington. Last year, there was a Washington MVP in Kyler Gordon. So. With the loss of Weddington two years ago, do they get both this year, including one who was committed to a school in California? I'm just going to leave that out there. It's a riddle. But wait a second. You can't just you can't leave us hanging like that. I, I think there's a possibility. The more I think about it, the more I talk with people, the more I think Puka ends up sticking with USC. Okay. But again, I would be. And I've been a crystal ball for Daniel Haimuli to Washington for a long time. I have seen no reason to think that anything else. I know he liked his visit to Oregon. He was wearing Oregon gloves tonight, (laughs) but I think he just went on that visit. Washington's going to have that next visit, and then he visits Alabama after that. Departure Tosh I just don't see them being a real option for him. I think Daniel Haimuli joins his teammate Noah Nalu and ends up in Seattle when it's all said and done. I think Puka sticks with USC, but maybe this is the world's way of paying back Washington for losing an MVP two years ago, and that still gives them three of the six MVPs all time. <laughs> That's a good way to end it. Well, Brandon, I really, really appreciate you sticking around. I know it's been a late night for us, and uh, obviously, Later's news for them over on the across the Pacific. That's true. Well, they'll be they'll be listening to this first thing in the morning, maybe on their on their Sunday uh, drive to church. They're on. So, anyways, I appreciate that for Brandon Huffman from Twenty Four Seven Sports. This is Chris Fetters of DogMan.com. Go Dogs.